when events like yesterday happen, especially on a Saturday, creates some nagging questions for the preacher. Do we shift gears and pay more attention to these issues, or do we carry on with our bulletin and our plans? I don't think that that first passage from Isaiah 58 could be more appropriate for today. So that's what's ringing in our ears at the moment. I don't think that we could have had a more appropriate anthem than Nathan just gave us for the glory of God, reminding us to be not afraid. God is near. My plan today was to talk about this window. And actually, it still speaks to us, especially today. So we're going to carry on as planned, but we're going to tie some of these things together. And may God bless us. We've been gathering in this chapel for the last 15 weeks. We only have three more Sundays in here. We've been gathering in here for 15 weeks and gazing at this window. I want to tell a little bit about this window and about this church and relate it to life in Virginia in 2017. In 1844, the members of First Presbyterian Church which was located in Churchill, founded in 1812, some of those members started gathering in this space right here, 1844. Second Presbyterian Church emerged out of First Presbyterian Church, and the members of First Presbyterian built what they called a lecture room right here on this space. This is one year before 1845 when Second Presbyterian Church was founded. That means that the very beginning of Second Presbyterian Church happened in this space that we we have been worshiping uh, for the last 15 weeks. This room looked very different then than it does now. It was mostly a very plain building. It had a low hanging ceiling. It had a parlor on the south end, and the floor of this room was about four feet lower than it currently is. For the first three years of Second Presbyterian Church's existence, the congregation worshiped in here. The historic church, the sanctuary as we call it, was not completed until 1848. In July of 1899, 55 years after the building was built, a plan was presented to the session for the remodeling of this room. One man, Mr. S.N. Hawes, offered to pay the full cost of the renovations. The full cost of the renovations of the chapel. We still celebrate today the wonderful, amazing generosity of some members who step up with such grace and goodness to support the buildings and the ministry 
and the life of this church here. The renovations and the plans in 1899 called for extensive changes to this building, not only to construct a larger space, but to make it conform to the wonderful Gothic sanctuary building next door. That building had changed the skyline of Richmond since 1845. So the renovation of this space in 1899 gave us these high vaulted ceilings, these beams, these wonderful Gothic windows, this rostrum, and this beautiful stained glass window. The stained glass window was given in memory of Martha Crane Hawes, her name is on it, who passed to the higher life February 13, 1897. It was given by her husband, Mr. S.N. Hawes, who funded the renovations of this whole space. The Tiffany Company in New York, one of the most famous and spectacular glass window designers of the era, designed and crafted this window. And upon first glance, we might assume that this is Jesus. Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. Jesus with the children, right? But the face is very feminine. And the window actually represents Dorcas. Dorcas standing in the garden among flowers. A young woman holding close to trusting children. Now, who is Dorcas? Here's a story from Acts, and you can read along with me. It's in the bulletin. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which is in Greek, Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, he took him, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body, and he said, Tabitha, get up. When she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he, Peter, stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, stay with me a little bit. Even look at that passage for just a moment. The setting of the passage is Joppa. Joppa is a coastal town with a port right on the Mediterranean, just south of what is now Tel Aviv. The modern name is Jaffa. But if you know some Bible stories, Joppa is mentioned numerous times, especially it's mentioned in the story when King Solomon was building the temple because the cedars of Lebanon, which were used to construct the temple, came through the port of Joppa and were carried into Jerusalem. Joppa 
is also the port city from which Jonah was trying to get to Tarshish in, in order to run away from God's calling, only to be swallowed by a whale. Joppa, Jaffa, is still a thriving town on the port with a port in Israel. Then the passage says there were disciple, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. We need to pay close attention to this word disciple in this passage. As Christians, we know this word. We've become familiar with it. It means literally a learner, one who learns from Jesus, one who follows Jesus, one who seeks the way of Jesus. It means one who's seeking to grow in the ways of trusting God and serving God in the world. This is what Jesus calls all of us to be about. Come and follow me, disciples. But this word, this word disciple, in this passage, it's the only feminine form of the word used in the whole Bible. It's feminine because it goes along with the next word. Tabitha, the name of the woman from Joppa, which is Greek, in Greek is Dorcas. She's the only woman in the Bible who gets called disciple. The only one. Aha! Now we might appreciate the importance of the window. And then the word disciple and gets even more emphasis because it says Disciple, Tabitha, also called Dorcas, gets another qualifier in this sentence, another elaboration as if the word disciple is being defined. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. The definition. So here she is, Tabitha, also called Dorcas, a disciple, a woman, the only one in the Bible with this designation, and one devoted to good works and acts of charity. The passage continues, Tabitha, Dorcas, has died. She's lying in a room upstairs, and they hear that Peter is nearby in a town, and they send word, please come to us without delay. He was about 10 miles away. He comes to Joppa, into the room. They take him upstairs, And what did he find there? Weeping widows. All the widows weeping. So how do you think in the Bible you convey the biggest picture of sadness? Widows, all through the Bible, are the poorest of the poor. When women lost their husbands in ancient times, they lose their status. They lost their status. And when they lost their status in society, they became the most vulnerable, the most desolate, the most forgotten. This is why all through the scriptures, God is especially attentive to widows and why widows are always on the list of those whom God's people are called to care most about. Widows, be most attentive to the widows. God exhorts, God calls, God commands always to welcome the widow, to care for the widow. Widows need compassion and love and support. It's all through the Bible. This continues to be pertinent today in our own world, especially in the poorest countries. Women and widows continue to struggle from hunger and 
economic depravity and disease and hardship. And we know this from our partnerships in Malawi and in Guatemala, especially attentive to women and widows. And then when you add the word weeping, weeping and widows together, it depicts a very troubling scene. Why are they weeping? Well, Dorcas, the disciple of Jesus who's devoted to good works and acts of charity, works for the widows, lives for the widows, the poorest of the poor in Joppa, and she has died. They are weeping, and they're holding the tunics that they were given by Dorcas that she had made for them. They are inconsolable in this scene. Dorcas was the amazing woman who headed a ministry of compassion and support in Joppa for widows, sharing her love, giving her gifts, assisting with care, supporting the widows in every way, offering them life and hope. She did this not because she had a business, not because she ran an agency. She did this because she's a disciple. That's her definition. She did this because she's a disciple. And she has died. And everyone in Joppa is falling apart, especially those widows who are the most needy. But the story here is not about Dorcas, the disciple. It's not just about her. Like every other story in the Bible, the real subject is God. God is at work. God is present. God is not finished. And that's always the promise. We often function and we carry on in life as if it is what it is. And what's happening is what's happening. And that's how we think. It is what it is. In this case, Dorcas has died. The widows are weeping. But God is not finished. God is never finished. That's the message. The story says, Peter... Jesus' chief disciple, we've heard about him, asked the people to leave the room. And then he knelt down and he prayed by the bedside and he said, Tabitha, get up. And the Bible uses very simple languages, language to convey a momentous happening. She opened her eyes, she saw Peter, and she sat up. This became known throughout Joppa. And many people believed. Amazing. There's something very fascinating about this story, about this passage about Dorcas. In Mark chapter 5, beginning at the 35th verse, there's a story about Jesus healing a woman. And the story, almost word for word, line by line, incident by incident, parallels this one in Acts chapter 9. A girl has died, the people call Jesus. A woman has died, the people call Peter. In both stories, the people are asked to go outside. They go upstairs. In both stories, Jesus in one story, Peter in the other, take the woman by the hand. And they say almost the exact same thing. Jesus says, Talitha, come, which means little girl, get up. Peter says, Tabitha, come, which means Tabitha, get up. There's only one letter difference in what Jesus said and what Peter said. In both stories, the people are marveling at what happens. And many people believed. Here's the point. When God is on the scene, things happen. When God is on the scene, there is life. 
we often wonder if God is on the scene. Is God on the scene in the recent tensions with North Korea? Is God on the scene in the hatred and vitriol of violence in Charlottesville? Is God on the scene in your life where you're most hurting? We wonder. This story in Acts about Dorcas wants to confirm what the Gospels keep saying over and over. God is on the scene. And God is always on the scene. And when God is on the scene, weeping and loss may be real, but they don't have the last word. When God is on the scene, sadness and desperation may be real, but that doesn't hold the day. Tensions and confusions, anxiety and anger can cover us. We wonder, where's God? But life and light emerge, and God reigns, and the promise holds. God is our help and strength, a present help in times of trouble. Page after page of Scripture, we are reminded that despite the harsh realities of life, despite the cruelty that makes God cry, despite the unknown anxieties that haunt us and beat us down, God is present, and God is at work, and God brings life, and we're God's people, and nothing can separate us from God's love. That's the promise. Do you hear me? Say amen. Amen. Now let's get back to Dorcas. Dorcas is not remembered because she was raised from the dead. Did you even know there was a story about a woman being raised from the dead by Peter in the book of Acts? It's like this much. Did you even know it? No, probably not. Dorcas is remembered because of what it says in the first sentence. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. That's why she was remembered. In fact, at Second Presbyterian Church in 1874, okay, this is about 25 years after the church is founded and about 25 years before this was created, in 1874, 25 years Before this window, Dr. Moses Hogue, the first pastor of Second, called the ladies of the church together for the organization of a new society called the Ladies Benevolence Society. And one of the officers was Martha Crane Halls. During the first year, the Ladies Society collected $4,100 in one year. Of that amount, $3,584 went to the purchase of New carpet and cushions for the church. I think those were the cushions and the carpet that we just took out. (laughs) Just kidding. But the ladies' society raised $4,000 in today's dollars. Guess how much that would be? $75,000 in one year. But in the same year, 1874, and here's the interesting point, a branch of the Ladies Society was set up known as the Dorcas Society, through which the membership proposed to give a portion of time and labor to 
the care of the poor, to those who needed sympathy and aid following Dorcas. And throughout the following decades, the Dorcas Society in this church gave significant funds and love and fuel and provisions and care to the most needy in the city. The Dorcas Society, following the example of Dorcas, becomes the foundation of so many of the missions and outreach of this city, which is why so many of us are involved in the mission and work of this church. Dorcas. The Dorcas Society is a rich part of our heritage. Dorcas, a disciple. The only woman in the Bible with that designation was devoted to acts of good work and charity. Nothing is recorded in the scriptures about what happened after Peter raised Dorcas from the dead, but what do you think? What do you think? I think her service only increased after that day. I think all those who were weeping so loudly when she died were now fueled with hope and life despite the challenges that they faced. Because they knew God was at work. And God was calling all of us always to good works and acts of charity. I think that they were able to trust God more. God's presence, God's promises, God's ability to bring life and hope. For if God could lift Dorcas from the dead, God could also lift weeping widows from poverty toward redemption and purpose in the world. And then, then, friends, there's our response, our calling. We can't just say, wow, cool window. And we can't just say, wow, nice story. We're meant to live out the realities of this story embodied by this woman. We are. You and I are. This disciple devoted to good works and acts of charity. This is our calling. Our calling. Jesus says, follow me. You're my disciples. We're called to be disciples. Listen to this quote from Henry Nouwen. We often live our lives that we often, our lives as we live them seem like lives that anticipate questions that will never be asked. It seems as if we're getting ourselves ready for the question, how much did you earn during your lifetime? Or, how many friends did you make? Or, how much progress did you make in your career? Or, how much influence did you have on people? Were any of those the question Christ will ask when He comes in glory, many of us could approach with really great confidence. Now and says, nobody is going to ask those questions. The question we're going to face is the question we're least prepared for. What have you done for the least of mine? What have you done for the least of mine? We're all called to be disciples. Disciples, disciples so devoted to good works and acts of charity. What might that look like for you and me in these days? Friends, we got a lot of work to do. How can you, like Dorcas, 
contribute to the healing and the hope of the world. So many places in our community, so many issues, so many tensions, so much anger, so many bullies. They're not just on the kindergarten playground. They're leading rallies. So many places are calling forth our best efforts to love and serve God in the world. We got work to do. Devoted to good works and acts of charity. This is our calling. What does that look like for you in these coming days? Who do we stand with? What do we say? Maybe we'll get the question, did you speak out against hatred? Maybe we'll get the question, did you stand with those who most needed you? For unity and hope, for justice and purpose, did you? This is our calling. Love and serve God, acts of charity. I came upon this week of Franciscan benediction that really seems appropriate this weekend. Listen carefully with these, to these words with me. May God bless you with discomfort. Discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep in your heart. May God bless you with anger. Anger at injustice and oppression and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice and freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears. Tears to shed for those who suffer pain and rejection and hunger and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain toward joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Enough foolishness so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Bring justice and kindness to all people everywhere. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, thank you for Dorcas. Thank you for another example of faithful discipleship. Thank you for the legacy of Dorcas in this church. Foundation of so much ministry. Keep calling us. Keep calling us, O oh God, to make a difference in the world, to address hatred, to help the hurting, to bring justice and life all toward the promised reign of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.